This is the fourth day of this July 2022 seven-day session. I uh, misspoke yesterday when I, I said yesterday. I said it was the fourth day. We'll uh, we'll fix it in production. I'm going to switch horses here and go from um, the uh, Japanese Zen master Muso Kokushi uh, to uh, 100 years earlier, uh, Chinese Zen master Yuan Wu. Yuan Wu is uh, credited with authoring the Blue Cliff Record, one of the um, two or three most commonly used koan collections by teachers who use koans. I dipped into this in the last session. I'll, um, of course, be reading other uh, segments of it, um, but I won't go into his biography. Uh, this is from a book called Zen Letters, Teachings of Yuan Wu, translated by J.C. Cleary and his brother Thomas Cleary. Our um, letters, I'll just read the back of the book. Um, letters written by him to various fellow teachers, disciples, and lay students, women, men, householders, as well as monks and nuns. And here we are, Yuan Wu. By even speaking a phrase to you, I have already doused you with dirty water. It would be even worse for me to put a twinkle in my eye and raise my eyebrow to you, or rap on the meditation seat, or hold up a whisk, or demand, what is this? As for shouting and hitting, it's obvious that this is just a pile of bones on level ground. can so uh, so relate to this the sentiments he's expressing here by speaking even a phrase I've already doused you with dirty water the way is perfect like vast space without lack or excess and yet uh, we Zen teachers are charged with trying to bring that more to light and by using words. There are uh, anecdotes, even a koan or two, with the master ascending the, the seat and just sitting in silence. Um, can't do that every day. And so we have these these texts by these illustrious masters uh, to comment on, and knowing that sometimes for some people it can muddy the waters, and in a way it's all mud, because 
we are all equally endowed with this original nature of wisdom. We all know it. All of you know it. That sense, this is just a pile of bones on perfectly level ground. These these examples uh, put a twinkle in my eye, raise my eyebrow to you, or, and so forth. Uh, they're just little ways of little devices. But he's even uh, rejecting these things. Uh, not rejecting them, because he goes on in <laughs> speaking, but uh, but just just acknowledging acknowledging that uh, uh, there's a real a real contradiction here to try to clarify what in all of us is a hundred percent perfectly clear I always feel you know when we're about to do the Hakuan Akwan's chant, chant and praise of Zazen. There's that that silence of uh, I don't know twenty or thirty seconds before just letting everything settle down before I announce um, Zen Master Hakuan's chant and praise. It's that it's that silence. I think that's enough. It would be enough. There was. Uh, a, a Chinese master who um, pretty much did that. Every every time someone would come and ask him about the Dharma, he would just turn his back on them. Find out yourself. You know it. You've always known it. And yet, here we are. There are also the type who don't know good from bad and ask questions about Buddha and Dharma and Zen and the Tao. They ask to be helped. They beg to be received. They seek knowledge and sayings and theories relating to the Buddhist teaching and to transcending the world and to accommodating the world. This is washing dirt in mud and washing mud in dirt. When will they ever manage to clear it away? Suggesting here that often these questions are not sincere. They're not uh, heartfelt. That students sometimes think they have to um, rummage up something to bring to Doksan. Teacher knows that this is a device uh, that uh, is really completely unnecessary. I've said a thousand times that you don't need to come bring anything to Doksan except your practice. You don't need to justify 
coming to Doksan. You don't need a reason to come to Doksan. Doksan's beyond reason. Some people hear this kind of talk and jump to conclusions, claiming, I understand. Fundamentally, there is nothing to Buddhism. It's there in everybody. As I spend my days eating food and wearing clothes, has there ever been anything lacking? Then they settle down in the realm of unconcerned ordinariness far from realizing that nothing like this has ever been part of the real practice of Buddhism. It is, as a thought, awakening reveals that fundamentally there has never been a single thing. And it is in everybody. And there has never been anything lacking. True, true, true. But then to have not confirmed that through one's own experience, but just uh, utter these kinds of things that they've learned, uh, that's what Yuan Wu is referring to here. This is what uh, we learn in the Three Pillars of Zen. It's called Buji Zen. Uh, Just settling into the original um, the, the original Buddhahood of everybody and leaving it at that with no no uh, sense of the importance of uh, confirming it through awakening. He continues, so we know that you must be someone genuinely within the tradition before you can be fully familiar with the fundamental portion of the vehicle of the school that has come down from time immemorial. If you really have an entry into enlightenment, then you know when to start and when to stop, when to advance and when to withdraw, and you can distinguish what is permissible from what is not. Well, there are a lot of ways of interpreting this. Uh, we can even refer it, apply it to late night sitting, yaza, when to start, when to stop, when to advance, when to withdraw. It's one of the most uh, thorny issues for so many people is how much sleep should I get? How much do I need? That's, uh, that's the real issue, is, is distinguishing between want and need. Most of us would want to sleep for eight or nine hours. Wouldn't that be sweet? But how much do we need? How much sleep do we need? Especially during Sashin, when we're using the mind in, in, in a way that is so different from the way we ordinarily use it 
out there in the world. We are conserving energy and accumulating energy through all this sitting. We shouldn't uh, assume anything as far as how much sleep uh, we, we need. It's the challenge is to have it uh, have an open question each night at nine thirty, or later. Also, is uh, how much further can I go without uh, just being foolish for sound asleep in the zendo? Then get some sleep, go to bed. It's uh, it's playing the edge, isn't it? It's and it's we uh, are con- continually ne- renegotiating it. We can't uh, find that on, uh, let's say, night night number three, uh, such and such, so many certain number of hours work for us. So that would be the same the next night. No, the tendency is a general tendency. The tendency is uh, that we need less uh, as the days pass. But then even that, there can be time when we just feel overcome by tiredness, and then we can get more, a little more sleep. There's no, there's no fixed number of hours that anyone can tell anyone else. The, 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 the important thing is to, to be open to it. And then over time, or for the nafsashins, you do find uh, a pattern that is fairly reliable, still with the possibility of exceptions. Uh, find out maybe when when you work best, when it's uh, the, the, the quality of the sitting is better than other times during the night, or yeah, it just it just sorted out to some degree after a while, while still uh, acknowledging that it can. Uh, can be different each night. He goes on leaving behind all leakages. Uh, that that's a favorite Chinese term or translation of a Chinese term meaning uh, the mind wandering. Uh, leaving behind all leakages day by day you get closer to the truth and more familiar with it the truth such a dull dry word the truth but we can experience it we can embody it as we go on you can start by saying if it's, it can't be the truth if it's thoughts. As you go further, you change like a panther who no longer sticks to its den. You leap out of the corral. Then you no longer doubt all the sayings of the world's enlightened teachers. You are like cast iron. This is precisely the time to apply effort and cultivate practice 
and nourish your realization. Cast iron. The supreme groundedness, uh, especially the groundedness that comes from a mind and a mind empty of thoughts. After that, you can kindle the inexhaustible lamp and travel the unobstructed path. You relinquish your body and your life to rescue living beings. Liberate, let's say liberate. You enable them to come out of their cages and eliminate their attachments and bonds. You cure them of the diseases of being attached to being enlightened, so that having emerged from the deep pit of liberation, they can become uncontrived, unencumbered, joyfully alive people of the path. This phrase, uh, having emerged from the deep pit of liberation, that is the trap of, of thinking with awakening that you've achieved anything that you didn't already have that everyone has from the beginning. That is any 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 odor, any Zen stink of uh, attainment, specialness, it has to go in order to be uncontrived, unencumbered, joyfully alive people of the path. unencumbered by the thought process. Our thoughts, this is the, the, the problem is that our thoughts can be so subtle that we don't notice them. We don't notice that there's some faint, faint clinging to the notion of, of uh, having attained something or some notion of oneself as in any real way, unenlightened from the very beginning. These uh, layers and layers of notions, ideas that have piled up over this life and previous lives. It's like uh, Sashin or, or practice, broad, broadly speaking, ongoing practice is, is a practice of excavating these little impurities in the mind. Ideas we cling to that we don't know we're clinging to. And then he goes on to what's most important. When you yourself have crossed over you must not abandon the carrying out of your bodhisattva vows. You must be mindful of, save, of liberating all beings and steadfastly endure the attendant hardship and toil in order to serve as a boat on the ocean of all knowledge. 
Only then will you have some accord with the path. Let's talk about the the mandate of uh, of a teacher. Be mindful of liberating all beings steadfastly and steadfastly endure the hardship and toil in order to serve as a boat on the ocean of all knowledge, a ferry that you can guide other beings across. But not only teachers, we can apply it more broadly to anything, anything in practice that we've realized, even short of awakening, uh, we, we have the responsibility of somehow um, using it to, to help others, uh, sharing whatever we've acquired, or rather in Zen terms, whatever we've lost, whatever we've gotten free of, to extend that out to others. And then he says, don't be a brittle pillar or a feeble lamp. Don't bat around your little clean ball of inner mystical experience. You may have understood for yourself, but what good does it do? That is, for others. Here's a a strong um, promotion of, of the Mahayana uh, where the, in the, the two main divisions of Buddhism, the Theravada and the Mahayana, the Theravada generally uh, emphasizes a need to just come to awakening for oneself. Um, it's not that they say only for oneself, but there's the absence in the Theravada of what is so central to the Mahayana, which is doing it for the sake of all beings. And this can be a a great turning point in one's practice when you start to realize that this is for the sake of all beings. There can be no no resolution if it's just for oneself. Who would want that? Who would who would be at rest uh, if even with some awakening Uh, as long as there are so many billions of people suffering all over the world. How can that be any point of rest? We have to find ways to extend ourselves, reach out for others, to others. If anything, through uh, ongoing practice, we become more sensitive to others' suffering. Here's another letter. Um, Brave, spirited monks possess an outstanding, extraordinary aspect. With great determination, they give up conventional society. They look upon worldly status and evanescent fame as dust in the wind 
as clouds floating by, as echoes in a valley. That's the, that's the real, the traditional, pure, monastic calling. But it's, it's also, to a lesser degree, it's also present in, in those who are getting ordained. They give up conventional society, Look upon worldly status and evanescent fame as dust in the wind. He goes on, since they already have great faculties and great capacity from the past, they know that this level exists and they transcend birth and death and move beyond holy and ordinary. I think he's probably referring here a great capacity from the past to, to have reached this point where of ordination means to have uh, sown a lot of good karma from the past, past lifetimes. This is the indestructible true essence that all the enlightened ones of all times witness the wondrous mind that alone the generation of enlightened teachers have communicated. To tread this unique path to be a fragrant elephant or a giant golden-winged bird It is necessary to charge past the millions of categories and types and fly above them, to cut off the flow and brush against the heavens. How could the enlightened willingly be petty creatures confined within distinctions of high and low and victory and defeat, trying futilely to make comparative judgments of instantaneous experience and being utterly turned around by gain and loss. He's uh, pointing to a, quite a lofty uh, state of attainment here. Uh, freedom from uh, these worldly, dualistic worldly concerns that uh, dominate the minds of most people. You know, uh, we talk in Zen about live words as compared to dead words. Dead words are abstract words. They're and they're they're words that, uh, especially in oral terms, words that don't come out of the guts. They come out of the out of the head. Um, I, I, this Yuan Wu is as much as any of the of the Zen masters. Uh, just really um, have such capacity with live words, concrete words. Here, bringing forth this image of a giant golden winged bird charging past the millions of categories and types and flying above them to cut off the flow and brush against the heavens.
and see why uh, his his book, um, the Blue Cliff Record, is is uh, regarded as one of the greatest works of Chinese literature, even by non uh, Buddhist people. He goes on, For this reason, in olden times, the people of great enlightenment did not pay attention to trivial matters and did not aspire to the shallow and easily accessible. You have to think of all the garbage that comes in on our news feeds, all the crap of celebrities and snarky comments, all the Facebook carping and nastiness and quibbling. They arouse their determination to transcend the Buddhas and patriarchs. They wanted to bear the heavy responsibility that no one can fully take up to liberate all living beings, to remove suffering and bring peace, to smash the ignorance and blindness that obstructs the way. They wanted to break the poisonous arrows of ignorant folly and extract the thorns of arbitrary views from the eye of reality. They wanted to make the scenery of the fundamental ground clear and reveal the original face before the empty eon. I think some of this is just so, so rich uh, that to, to comment on too much of it is to diminish it. But with just with this, this one, this trivial matters, they did not pay attention to trivial matters. Of course, he wasn't uh, referring to anything that I just referred to in contemporary terms, but you could say trivial matters could also be uh, little insights that we that come up, bubble up during sitting, and uh, making too much of that psychological insights, philosophical insights. Uh, Someone in another tradition said, whoever desires the ocean makes light of streams. See, this, this basic, uh, uncompromising nature of, of, of Zen at its purest, where it doesn't matter what we experience, we just move on. Discard, discard, leave it behind. There's a uh, saying from the island of Crete. Uh, Leave where you have succeeded, return where you have failed. In many ways, it's a good, good mandate for Zazen, Zen practice.
turn where you have failed. We fail a hundred times an hour, a thousand times an hour. When the mind wanders, we just go back. Just go back. And then he adds, you should train your mind and value actual practice wholeheartedly, exerting all your power, not shrinking from the cold or the heat. Go to the spot where you meditate and kill your mental monkey and slay your intellectual horse. Make yourself like a dead tree, like a withered stump. Yeah, these uh, can be misleading. Um, uh, These are pretty common terms as referring to the great state of of emptying out uh, like a dead tree, a withered stump. Uh, it's without, it is said with great admiration, this is without any grasping, uh, any self. It's uh, beyond self, beyond ego. Here's another one. My teacher, Wu Zhu, often said, I've been here for five decades, and I've seen thousands of thousands of Zen followers come up to the corner of my meditation seat. Doksan. They were all just seeking to become Buddhas and to expound Buddhism. I have never seen a single genuine wearer of the patched robe. And then... Yuan Wu comments how true this is. As we observe the present time, even those who expound the Dharma are hard to find, much less any genuine people. The age is in decline, and the sages are further and further distant. In the whole great land of China, the lineage of Buddha is dying out right before our very eyes. We may find one person or half a person who is putting the Dharma into practice, but we, we would not dare to expect them to be like the great exemplars of enlightenment, the dragons and elephants of yore. And I did read recently that uh, in this the 12th century uh, of uh, Yuan Wu, the, the Buddhism in Chan, Chan Buddhism in China was in decline. This is uh, this is after the great Tang Dynasty, and and uh, now it's the Song Dynasty, and it continued to decline, not in every sense, but largely, and then until it hit the Cultural Revolution, from mid '60s to mid '70s, and. The Red Guards went on a rampage and burned down 
thousands of monasteries and now it's kind of limping back got the backing of the government which is a double-edged sword because if they if they support that the government supports the monasteries then they have to toe the line but at least there's some signs of green grass coming up out of the asphalt it's very hard for us as outsiders to uh, assess the vitality, the, the authenticity of what's going on now in, in China when, uh, when the, the people there are so adept, the government especially is so adept at creating a certain uh, image, a certain um, presentation to draw. They've learned that is a certain tour, tourism draw to get people to see these Buddhist monasteries. And then, some consolation here, he says, Nevertheless, if you simply know the procedures and aims of practical application of the Dharma and carry on correctly from beginning to end, you're already producing a lotus from within the fire. long as we are doing our best, um, then there's a lot of still a lot of promise for for every single one of us. And then to end this letter, he says, "You must put aside all the conditioning that entangles you. Then you will." be able to perceive the inner content of the great enlightenment that has come down since ancient times. Be at rest wherever you are and carry on the secret, closely continuous, intimate level practice. The devas will have no road to strew flowers on and demons and outsiders will not be able to find your tracks. This is what it means to truly leave home and thoroughly understand oneself. Again, talking to monks in this letter. Put aside all the conditioning that entangles you. To be clear, we don't have to put anything aside. It is put aside through our absorption in the practice. It happens on its own. There's no one here to put anything aside. In the uh, in the hallway outside the Doksan waiting line, there is this magnificent uh, figure of Manjusri, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, uh, brandishing the sword, the delusion-cutting sword of Wisdom. That too can be misleading. We don't need to 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 cut anything as long as we're we're not nourishing our thoughts as long as we're not dwelling in our thoughts that's the cutting 
it's a way of speech, it's, it's active, it's lively. Zen Master Basui saying, cut, 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 cut. But it has, I have heard from people who are confused about it, it's just redirecting our attention. When we notice that it has wandered, just swing it back, pivot back to the practice we're working on. That's the putting aside, that's the cutting. He says, if you want to attain intimacy, and the translator capitalizes that intimacy, you could say samadhi in an which is more of a, a word more from the Indian tradition. If you want to attain intimacy, the first thing is don't seek it. If you attain through seeking, you've already fallen into interpretive understanding. He's just uh, alerting us of the danger of grasping when all, all we really need to do is just merge with the practice we're working on. Searching, questioning, wondering is not seeking, really. I think that's it's a, maybe it's a fine distinction, but it is a difference. I think I think seeking implies some goal out there. He says this is especially true because this great treasury extends through all times, clearly evident, empty, and bright. Since time without beginning, it has been your own basic root. You depend on its power entirely in all your actions. It's functioning when we walk. It's functioning when we drink water. It's functioning when we're washing our hands. It's all right here. You will only pass through to freedom when you cease and desist to the point that not even a single thought is born. Then you penetrate through without falling into sense and matter and without dwelling in conceptualizations and mental images. Uh, what he, he's describing it seems so... Uh, maybe to some people so inaccessible, so remote, but it's not. It is right here. We can just believe this, believe in the practice. That's all it takes, complete faith in the practice to the exclusion of everything else. Faith in the practice means faith in the process. Time is up. We'll stop and recite the four vows.